Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. When you find your way there, if you will, uh, out of reverence for the Word of God, stand with me. We're going to read the first seven verses, some of which you've heard for the last few weeks in a row. But we're moving on. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of any kind that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I want to speak to you this morning on that fourth commandment there. Thou shalt not take his name in vain. Or the third commandment, apologize. Uh, I want to speak to you on that this morning. Would you pray with me? You pray for me as I pray for you. Ask the Lord uh, to bless our time together. Father, we just come to you now humbly asking, uh, Lord, that you would speak directly to our hearts. Father, help us to see the truth contained in these few words this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to look into the mirror that is God's word and examine our own hearts, our own lives. Help us, Father, not to take the easy way out or to check out because we've heard it before. Lord, help us to dig in. Father, help us as we honestly seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. And Father, I pray you'd be with each uh, here. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a will to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew Henry states that these first four commandments speak to the object of our worship, secondly to the ordinance of our worship, third to the manner of our worship, and fourth to the time of our worship. Regardless of, uh, of the identifying noun, whether it be the object, the ordinance, the manner, or the time, I hope that we have an understanding that what we are discussing is the subject of our worship. What, who, how, when do we express our worship? We are, of course, focusing this morning on this uh, verse 7, which is indeed the third commandment. 
And thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This commandment speaks to how we worship. I believe last week I had that on the uh, outline, and that was a misprint. What we have learned in these first seven verses, or what we are learning, is first who we should worship, that is the Lord our God. Second, what we should worship, that is him and not an image of him. And today is, uh, I would say, how we should worship. To take the name of the Lord in vain is so much more than a prohibition against certain phrases or words. That's what it's been cooked down to. But it's so much more than that. It's not less than that, by the way. Just because it's more than that doesn't mean it's okay to to use his name in a curse phrase or in a swear or in an oath. But it's so much more than that. It involves actions and attitudes and attributes and acknowledgments of the believer in worship. What is our attitude in worship? What is our action in worship? What are the attributes of the believer as they comport themselves in life and carry themselves in life? And what are the acknowledgments that we make towards God, this creator God, this redeemer God, this sustainer God, this provider God? How does it impact the way we walk, the way we talk? This verse, verse 27, is very concise or excuse me, verse 7, it's very concise, there's 27 words, you can see my error there to be exact. The concept is even more concise than the words would indicate. It, it simply says there is a complete exemption from the use of any empty or meaningless words when speaking for or about the Lord our God and a certain experience for those who disobey. They will not be held guiltless. You're going to answer for it. The terrifying phrase uh, in the New Testament is for every idle word. (laughs) But it is so much more than a prohibition against words. And uh, our first church experience as a married couple we were at faith baptist church in jefferson so we we rededicated our lives there i was ordained as a deacon there i surrendered to preach there under the ministry of dr gerald mitten he was 20 years past his prime and everybody said he needed to leave but god kept him there long enough to impact me he had a wife uh, miss carolyn mitten she was closer to the doctor than he was And she had a Ph.D. in Christian teaching. Uh, Just nobody ever gave her a piece of paper for it. She would say uh, this little phrase all the time. We didn't hear her say it as much because we were adults. Uh, She challenged me in other ways. But she would always say, I heard others uh, testify to this, that your, your talk talks and your walk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. That's kind of the heart 
of this idea of not taking the Lord's name in vain. And when we begin to look at it, we understand that it's so much more than some word or some phrase or some misuse of a name, but it is that. I want to show you a few things, and, and I'm just going to stay right here, and I want you to acquiesce to agree with the Word of God, and I want you to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is right when it convicts you of wrong. The, the very first thing that we would think of when we think about the Lord's name and taking it in vain is that we must not take the Lord's name in vain in our walk. In our walk. Our character and conduct should always be trustworthy and sincere. Now, I think that this may be a bigger issue than whether or not you use some particular word or some phrase. This concerns character and conduct in our day-to-day -day living, how we comport ourselves, how we carry ourselves, how do we portray the Lord, how do we reveal our relationship with Him, does our walk and our talk align, could we be rightly accused of hypocrisy, are we seeking to glorify God in our walk, always conscious of our testimony for the Lord? Do we take the Lord's name in vain in our walk? Would we be like one of those seven churches in the book of Revelation which has a reputation for being alive, but they're dead? Are we known in the community as a believer, and then are we viewed as a Christian? Or are we known as, you know, the word they love to use, the hypocrite, or the fake, or Thomas Watson, the 17th century theologian and preacher, names 20 different ways in which we can take the Lord's name in vain. Among them, many are related to conduct and character, or as we've called it, our walk. The, the sin of hypocrisy is a sin of great concern. When we report ourselves as Christians and then act in a manner which defiles or betrays the Christian name, we're guilty of hypocrisy. We, we've convoluted and perverted the definition of a hypocrite. And the people that we describe as hypocrites may be a lot of things, but they're not the classic form of a hypocrite. The classic form of a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. It is that idea, that form of hypocrisy, that while we're known as Christians, we proceed to engage in behaviors that are not. And in doing that, we blaspheme the name of the Lord. We have taken God's name in vain. Even when we profess Christ as Lord and then don't observe his lordship in our own lives, we've taken the name of the Lord in vain. When a ministry or a church 
represents something that is not godly and they represent it as being godly, that entire ministry and our church has taken the Lord's name in vain. When a church promotes, when the church has got a sign on the building that says they are a church of God, they are a Baptist church, they're whatever denomination you want to be, they, they claim that they are representing and they are preaching Christ and Christ crucified and God the Father. When they have that, and that is their title, that is their name, that is their signage, that is their reputation, and then they wrongly represent some worldly idea as being of God, they have taken the name of God in vain. It doesn't matter what that thing is. Uh, you know, we could inflame it really quick because we see it all the time. But it gets down to simple things, too. I saw a church, uh, it was about 10 or 12 years ago, I was driving through Monroe. There's a, I think that's a Presbyterian church right there on the edge of Monroe as you're driving in, a really pretty facility. And they had a sign out front. They were having a pet dedication day. So you could bring your fur baby to church and dedicate it to the Lord so you could ensure it of eternal security. That's taking the Lord's name in vain, folks. I mean, it's laughable. We all know people that treat their animals that way. We may have had an animal. I had a dog one time. He was pretty close. He might, he might be in heaven. I'm not sure he was a good dog. <laughs> he was a good dog, right? That's taking the Lord's name in vain. When a, when, when a church advertises anything that is of a worldly concept, they are stamping on that. This is approved by God when it is indeed not improved by God. That is empty and meaningless. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. And listen, bring it down. When a believer does that in their life, They've taken the Lord's name in vain. This is the moment in the sermon where we all must say in honesty and transparency, thank God for his grace and his mercy. Because it's something that we're all guilty of. We must not take the Lord's name in vain in our walk. Next, I want you to see that we can't take the Lord's name in vain in our worship. Our hearts should always be tuned to his honor and his glory. Kevin DeYoung makes the following statement. The way to see God's glory is to hear his name. To know the name Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one, is not to merely know something about God. It is to know God himself. See, that's the problem one of the many. Our society knows a lot about God, but the bulk of them do not know God. There are a lot of people within the church proper that know about God. They have information about God. They have heard information about God. They may can repeat information about God, but they have never known God to the transformational aspect 
that they have been born again and he has indwelt them. And so their worship is not towards God. It's not toward his honor and his glory. This concerns the quality of our worship, the focus of our praise. Our view of God is notable in this aspect. Do we see him? And you just uh, think to yourself, how do I see God? Do we see him as a good-willed grandfather? The the aged sage who will give me anything I ask for and only has love and compassion towards me and wears rose-colored glasses and never sees the wrong I do? The good-willed grandfather. Do we see him as some sanctimonious Santa Claus? who is there to give me whatever I desire or need, that I can just uh, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever? Do we see him as fearsome and distant, a God that can never be pleased? That's the kind of God the nation of Islam serves, by the way. He's, He's fearsome and he's wrathful and he can never be pleased. And you never know if you pleased him until... You find out whether you did or not. Or do we see him as the one who created me? Lovingly uh, fashioned me, knit me together in my mother's womb, knew me before the world knew me, saw me before my parts were formed, and brought me into this world so that I might honor and glorify him. Do you see the difference in that perspective? Is there there fear involved in that creator? Well, from an awesome reverential perspective, sure. But I'm not believing that he's waiting to smite me dead. I believe that he has given me his word revealed to me so that I might know him He's expressed himself through the word. He has revealed his image through Christ. He's given me opportunity to be intimately involved with him. The spirit of God has moved into my my born-again, faith-filled soul so that I can cry out, Abba, Father, that he is personal to me. But he's right. And he's always right. And he'll always do right. And he won't approve of wrong. And I worship from that place that I I see him as the one who created me, who indwells me, who saved me, who redeemed me, who will one day soon return to take me home. It is a relationship. And I, I come into worship with that mindset. You have to ask yourself the question, is my worship geared to exalt the name of Christ or is my worship given to edify the flesh, to entertain the flesh, to excite the flesh? You say, oh, here's another one of those one-sided discussions about music. I don't care what kind of music you play. 
I don't care what kind of instruments you play. I don't care whether you pump smoke in the room or not. I don't care what color your lights are. I do not care. But if your heart is not aimed towards God, he cares. I have a hard time embracing things that look worldly and believe that God is going to be satisfied with that. When we are told over and over to come out from among them and be ye separate. The old preacher used to say, and, and we'll all get a little bit of a kick out of this. We've all, Carla and Robin and I have all laughed about this in the past, but you hear old preachers say a lot of times, well, you know, the music. If it, if it moves your toes before it moves your spirit, it's not of the Lord. <laughs> it's kind of laughable, right? I mean, we've all heard that. But th this is, I, I don't want you to go there because th that becomes preferential and legalistic. And the reason we know that that is preferential and legalistic is because, in truth, uh, there are a lot of examples of lively worship in the scriptures. It's not about what you see, it's about the, the intent of the heart, the aim of the heart, the desire of the heart. Who is the worship intended for? I had someone tell me one time that, uh, you know, uh, I struggle with stuff like this, but I had a, a person tell me one time, they came and visited our church, and, and uh, they, they, bragged on, they bragged on the people, they bragged on the preaching, and they said the music was good, but, but, you know, she said, I, I prefer praise and worship, and Contemporary stuff, it gets me in the mood. Well, we lost. I mean, we, we, we just jumped the tracks of worship. And we jumped the tracks into entertainment if we're talking about a particular mood. Right? It's, the, it's that concept that we can't take the Lord's name in vain in our worship. The, the song service is, is the precursor to the preaching, but it should never be preferred. The, the worship experience is intended to prepare our hearts for the preaching and the teaching of God's word. The, the, it's that. It ought to set the stage. It ought to bring you into a mindful remembrance of what God has done in your life, is doing in your life, has done for creation, will do in the end days. We ought to be focused upon Christ and the goodness of God and the greatness of God and and the sovereignty of God. And, and we are bringing ourselves into a moment to hear from the literal word of God. And we're not doing that in vain. We're not doing that empty. We're not doing that wastefully. We're doing that worshipfully and purposefully to exalt Christ. Can, can, I, can I lay it in your lap for a minute now? I've dealt with it all week. The, the greatest hindrance to the worship service, whether we're talking about in song or in scripture, is the preparation which precedes it. That's it. If, if we are prayed up, confessed up, and repented up, and read up, and we come in looking up to the Lord from whence cometh our help, will experience renewal and revival and spiritual growth every time. 
But if you run it can to can't Monday through Saturday night, you don't consult with the Lord, you don't read the Word of God, you don't pray, you don't take some time every day, and the more the better. You don't take some time every day to think about what God is doing in your life, how God is blessing, what God is working on, what is he teaching you. You're not looking around at the things that are going on around you and seeing God's hand at work or seeing God's hand being uh, bitten. You're, you're not preparing your heart. And then you, you get up Saturday morning, you get up early, and you run all day long doing everything that feels good because it's the woohoo weekend. And you do your thing all day long, and you run until midnight on Saturday night, and then you crash into bed, and the kids crash into bed, and then you get up the next morning, and everybody's groggy and dreary, and you slap some lipstick on, and you throw some deodorant on, and you brush whatever hair you've got, and you throw the kids in the car, and you beat the traffic to the church, and you drag them inside and say, get in there and go worship the Lord. You're not good. You just wasted your effort. I mean, I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm the pastor, and I want to see the house full. But honestly, if you're in that condition, you're not helping anybody. You're probably hindering. But if you leave the house of God on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, after spending a couple hours there in the morning, a couple hours there in the afternoon, thinking about what God's doing in your life, you get up Monday morning, and you bask in the, the, the blessing that was yesterday, and you pray and thank God for what he's given you. You read your devotion. You read a little bit of scripture. Listen to some edifying music. You think about the goodness of God. You do that all day, every day. At night, you spend a few minutes with your children before they go to bed, helping them recognize the goodness of God in their life, and you pray with them, and you bed them down, and then you go climb yourself in the bed. You get up and you do that every day because that's what we do as adults. We work, eat, sleep, and, drink, and work again, right? And then Saturday you put it in your mind that, you know, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. And we're going to enjoy ourselves today, but we're going to shut this thing down about 9 or 10 tonight. Because we need to get some rest. And you tell your kids, hey, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. And you do that every day. Sunday for their whole life and they never have to wonder they never get up in the morning they never lay in bed a little longer hoping maybe they'll let me sleep this morning they know they may not whistle Dixie about it but they know and then you come into the house of God and you, you're praying that God's going to do something in your life you have prepared yourself for worship and you're going to feed the worship and the worship is not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about this ambiance and this environment. It is about exalting the name of Christ, lifting him up. If we come in each week carrying the burdens of life, the failures of the flesh, the desires of the world, and a check-a-box attitude, we will not receive a thing. But if we come in each week, Thinking about how God's good been, how good God's been to us. Man, I, I put my feet on the floor every morning this week. I stood up and on my own power walked throughout the day because God's good to me. Does your worship life blaspheme the Lord? D does your worship life take the name of the Lord in vain?
can I tell you something? Everybody's guilty sometimes. The cares of this life and the burdens of this world are hard to shake sometimes. We have to be intentional about it. Next, we must not take the Lord's name in vain in our work. It's very important. In our work, our service should always be unto the health of the church and unto the furtherance of the gospel. The health of the church and the furtherance of the gospel. That's what your work is for. By the way, I don't want to hurt your feelings again. I've been told that I need to quit saying that because when I do, you assume I meant to. So, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but your attendance in the worship service is not your work for the Lord. I'm sorry. I, I know that you want it to be. I know that you want to get some kind of a functional credit for that, but that's not what this is. This is a coming together to worship him and to feed off of one another as we do that. This is a service to us. However, we do, do, we do accomplish work for the Lord. Some of us do so vocationally. Others of us should be doing so willfully. We accomplish work for the Lord. Dennis Prager made this comment. I thought it was very timely. This, this commandment also means misappropriating God's teachings for malpractice. And he goes on to say that there, the worst sin is committing evil in God's name. Now, that's a little more applicable to what we spoke about this last topic, but I want you to think about that for a moment because I want you to think about the motivations behind the work that you perform. And there's, there's a lot of folks in here that work. There's some working right now. There's some working security. There's some working in children's church. There's some working right there in the booth. There's a lot of people that's working. And there's always a danger. I've prayed about this all week. There's always a danger when you say something like I'm about to say that I believe is scriptural and spiritually true that you have two or three people quit what they're doing. Because that's the typical fleshly response. Well, you're right. I'm doing it for the wrong reason, so I'm going to quit doing it. Well, that's wrong as well. You should not quit what you're doing because you're doing it for the wrong reason. You should start doing it for the right reason. That would be an appropriate response. However, this concerns the motivations behind the work we perform. If we do so for notoriety or for glory or for uh, the good of the church, are we an effective witness for Christ? If we do so out of a sense of guilt or even a sense of duty to the pastor or the staff or the local assembly, if we do so to carry, uh, to purport, or to present some sort of reputation. If we do so out of a, a desire to express control. It's all vain. It's meaningless. It's empty. It doesn't mean anything. Well, it means something, preacher, because I did it. And it's up there, and, and people saw it. It's, it's what the Lord would call at the Bema seat, wood, hay, and stubble. And it, not only is it not profitable for you, it's not exalting to the Lord, and it's not edifying to the body of Christ because your intentions are laying aside whatever good would come out of the work. Well, what is the answer to that? Well, the answer to that is to find yourself in a right relationship with the Lord. You should absolutely express 
your callings, your gifts, and your abilities in the local assembly. That means if you are a brilliant business-minded individual and you make a career doing that, that is an innate gift and ability that God gave you because nothing happens by accident. And if you would employ that in the church as well, the church would be blessed by the blessing, the gift that God is blessing you through life with. If you are an IT expert, you should be applying that. If you are a construction expert, you apply that. If you are a management expert, you apply that to the body of Christ. Then you're not vocationally depending upon it because God has blessed you with this gift and ability in the workforce to make a living. You are offering that back to God as worship. Absolutely. But if you do it attempting to earn your righteousness or achieve a particular place in glory or to, to reach the throne of God for uh, some uh, personal effect or for reputation purposes, it's empty, it's meaningless, and it is in vain, and it is using God's name in vain in your work. It's doing a good thing a bad way. That's tough, isn't it? It's sticky because what it requires is it requires that we are spiritually honest with ourselves and that we are continually checking in with the Lord. God, check me. God, show me. God, correct me. Not, I'm going to quit everything so I won't do anything wrong. Well, then you're not doing anything at all. God, check me. If we're involved in a work or an exercise or a ministry for our own glory, for the wrong motives, for the wealth of it, for the notoriety of it, we have failed this commandment. The work of the Lord is a work unto the church. The work is in view of the gospel. There is no other way to perform it correctly and to honor God. He does not and will not share his glory with anybody. So this is the question you ask yourself. And there's a lot of workers in here that should be asking yourself this question. What is the aim, the motive, and the intention behind the things I'm undertaking in the Lord's name? Is it to his honor and glory alone? Would I do it if nobody watched? Would I do it if no one came? Would I do it if there was no financial status associated with it? Then you would know that that's to his honor and his glory. Next, we must not take the Lord's name in vain in our words. Our speech should always be true and scriptural. Now here we get kind of back to uh, the, the more literal aspect, the speech. For, for many years, the litmus test for keeping this commandment became whether or not you cursed using God's name. If you didn't do that, you kept the third commandment. But that's not true. As we've already said, it's not less than that, but there's more than that to it. And it is a consideration, and to be sure, any improper use of his name is disobedient, but so is the misuse of his name, or the mispresentation of his name, or the misapplication of his name, when it might sound perfectly good. I got one for you. This doesn't offend anybody. This doesn't offend anybody at all. We do it all the time. I like to trail. That would have been funny, wouldn't it? God bless you. 
God bless you. Is that real? Is there an intention and a motive behind that that brings honor and glory to God? Or is it a, comfort, a comfortable colloquialism? You say, man, that's, that's kind of strict. Look, I'm not going to point any fingers at you if you say God bless you because I might say it to you. I'm just telling you that we ought to be constantly thinking about how we are using the words that God gives us. And are they to his honor and glory? The other as aspect is, do you speak like a Christian? You remember when Peter was warming himself by the fire? Yeah. And that, that little slave girl said, you're one of them. He said, no, I'm not. And then a few minutes later, she said, you, you are, you're one of them. And he said, no, I'm not. And then she said again, and he, he, he swore. And then somebody said, you are one of them. Why? Your speech betrays you. You ever had anybody accuse you of being a Christian because of the way you talk? Or do they have to wonder whether or not you are because of the way you talk? That's closer to the heart of not using the Lord's name in vain. Not carrying it in vain. Not taking it in vain. And lastly, and, and we'll close. We will be held accountable for our actions and intentions in the relationship to the use of his name. That's what that last part of verse 7 says there. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You're going to answer. Actions and intentions. The Lord would say it's out of the heart that man is defiled. That's intentions. It's the motive behind what you said and what you did. You're going to be held accountable for actions and intentions. This is what Piper says in a paraphrase. Turn away from taking the name of the Lord in vain. Repent, receive forgiveness, and then by the power of God's Spirit, be done with it. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In your walk, in your worship, in your work, and in your word, do not do it. Repent of it. And as always, the most important aspect of this idea of being held accountable is that we want to see, and I want you to see, and I hope that we can all uh, 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 bask in this truth, God's mercy is available for all who repent. That's it. God's mercy. If you're guilty of a walk that isn't trustworthy and sincere, that isn't worthy of the name by which you are called, Paul would say walk worthy of the vocation by which you are called. If you say this morning, preacher, I don't think I am, then repent. Turn from that and don't do it anymore. That's the, the, the picture that God gives us. That's the provision. It is the mercy and the grace that God provides for us. Repent. Agree with God about the, the wickedness of that sin and turn from it. If you're guilty of empty worship that doesn't honor and glorify God, repent and allow him to receive the praise due his name. If you're guilty of a work that is self-serving, repent and seek to be a witness unto him in all that you do. If you're guilty of corrupt speech, profanity, or just simply mispresenting, misrepresenting the word of the Lord, repent, turn from it, and simply ask the Lord to give you 
a true tongue, a new vocabulary. If you've never been redeemed, if you've never repented of your unbelief and believed the gospel, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord to save you, you can't do any of these things. You're spiritually inept. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But if you'll repent of your unbelief, call upon the name of the Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Would you stand with me this morning? I wonder, would you respond today? I wonder, would you repent today? Would you be able to say, hey, I see that. I'm guilty of some of those things. Could you repent of it? Could you give it to the Lord? Maybe you're here today and you've never been born again. Would you like to be born again? Would you like to be spiritually awakened? Repent. Call upon the name of the Lord. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Help us, Lord, as we seek to honor and glorify you in our actions our motives and our attitudes. Lord, we love you and thank you. The altar's open. Would you come? Just as I